My name is Isabella Johnston, the intern whisperer and founder of Employers Change. Today's tip of the week is about the future of the global learning market in 2030. It is estimated that the market size will cross $985 billion with a compound annual growth rate of 22.6%. Now you may be wondering why this is significant. This is about opportunity and creating learning content that is customized and allows learners to select ways to learn that corresponds to their preferred learning delivery methods. When I talk about opportunity, it's about creating customized courses for people. It is about creating a career path that you may not have considered, and it will continue to grow because as we stay in this place of remote work and being able to make sure that people are learning and keeping track of those cognitive skills of research, time management, creativity, problem solving, and critical thinking, it's going to be vital to have people that can help us continue to exercise those brain power muscles that we have so that we can be the best employee that is in the workplace. So let's take just a real quick look about how this opportunity, what it looks like in 2022. So last year, the U.S. had 201.54 billion in revenue that was made in this learning science area. And it's expected to reach, as I mentioned, 985 billion in 2030. That's a huge growth. So are you thinking about making a career change? Consider the path of instructional design. And welcome to the Intern Whisper. The show is all about the future of work and innovation. Hi, this is Isabella, and today's guest is Alex Salas. He is the owner of Style Learn. He is a talent developed professional, U.S. Navy veteran, Scrum Master, instructional designer, e-learning developer, speaker, and a podcast host, along with so many other things that I've learned about him. So, Alex, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Isabella. That is great. So glad to be here. And wow, that's a, that's a great introduction. So. Well, it came straight off your LinkedIn. So like, you're pretty awesome. (laughs) I was going, wow, look at all of this stuff that you have done. I know, right? It's like we we do stuff and then we don't realize how much we've done. So yeah, but it's it's the nature of what we do. Yeah, it is so true. So true. So Alex, the first thing that we usually do on this show to kick everything off is ask the guest five words that describe you and why those five words. So I'm going to take some little notes in here while you're talking. Just be ready. Okay, go. All right. Resilient. Okay. Yeah. Why? Well, I have to be resilient. I grew up in Venezuela. Everybody knows Venezuela or pretty much knows about it. And, uh, you know, it was a, it was a rough environment that I grew up in. So you have to quickly adapt to things that were happening. You know, you get either bully or things get stolen or, so as a five-year-old, six-year-old, you're out there in the streets kind of figuring it out. And uh, yeah, that creates resilience. So one of my interns, he was from Venezuela also. And we were on a call on Skype and he goes, I got to go. They're shooting in the streets. And I went, holy cow, are you going to be okay? Yeah. I don't know. Was it like when you say it was really rough, did you encounter that kind of stuff too? He was okay also, by the way. Well, yeah. So, you know, we had to keep, I always tell people this, right? Because it's the time frames and context. So a lot of people did not know anything about Venezuela, you know, back in 92. And 
before that i'm talking 70s so <laughs> you know i'm talking between, like late 70s and stuff like that and at that time there were still there was a lot of crime there was a lot of the the culture was still the same is what i mean is like the culture of you know kind of look over your shoulder and you learn because i was an in, you know as a child you're innocent where right? you're like and especially me i was very, very naive i'm very naive with people and i've learned to through the years of you know like some people are not that great but you know you can judge everybody by the same by the same standard so yeah, it, it was like that. You know, I, I saw my mom being robbed, you know, at wow. eight years old, stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it, it was is, rough. It is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, and and it was normal stuff that probably, you know, I say normal in the sense of where I grew up, where, you know, you'll get into fights every day if you needed to or wanted to or, or someone wanted to. And it's not the same, you know, in some areas. And I'll say, you know, the assumption is usually, oh, it's not the same here in the United States of America. Yeah, but but it is. It is depending on yeah, it is depending on where you're at, right? So like right. you know, if you're in the, the Bronx in New York or Brooklyn or something like that, you know, it's a different living than or in LA, you know, mm -hmm. it's a different living than other places. So, but as a general, as a general rule, general norm, I think you know, it's still great. That is, there are parts here of this country, and that's why I love this country. That because what makes the country is the people and the principles. And there are still parts in this country where you can leave your bike out in the sidewalk somewhere and, you know, 30 minutes later, it's still there. Yeah. And that, that's not a reality when I was a kid in Venezuela. So, yeah. Yeah. I lived in a place here in Winter Park also. Not the 32789 side, but <laughs> where... <laughs> Gosh, no, my car was broken into in three, two, seven, eight, nine. Mm -hmm. And then also a bike was stolen off of mine. So yeah, I think that we're only as safe as we believe we are. Right. But reality can hit you hard. It's all context. Yeah, it's all context. Second word. Second word. Of course, let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> passionate. Uh, Ooh, definitely yeah. passionate. We can, you can probably tell the editing team to throw in some Spanish guitar when I say this. Okay. <laughs> You know, he is Latin too, <laughs> so he can do that. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm very passionate. I don't know if that comes from heritage or whatnot. I did my DNA thing once and it actually surprised that like 64% Spaniard or Portuguese. Wow. Uh, rather than, rather than, you know, Arawak Indian from Venezuela or, you know, something like that. So yeah, what those DNA tests that you're taking, like 23andMe and stuff like that. Yeah, I've <laughs> done you, them too. They'll give you some surprises. So yeah, I'm supposed to be also 16% sub-Saharan sub African. Wow. But I, I can see that because of the last name Salas, which comes from Moors, mm. from the Moors. And so the Spanish and the Moors, you know, they have some big wars and the Moors took over for a minute and, you know, and then all of that. Did you uh, see how far back that was? Did you notice? Because I have that. My dad is really big into oh, yeah. Ancestry.com, yeah. but he's gone back 12 generations. Well, it's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I'll have to find out. I'll probably have to go to the country and find out because, you know, there's so much, there's a lot of, there's a lot of historical trauma yeah. <laughs> at least coming from the latino space you know mm -hmm. it's like you know it a lot of people tackle this in, in terms of philosophy bolivar was one of them <laughs> Some yeah. Bolivar, which is like you know we're not we're not what they say we are it's like something like that i'm paraphrasing but we're not we're a unique situation here right mm -hmm. because yeah. 
before Columbus, there was nothing else. <laughs> it was, it, we were on people, on different things. So, okay. So that was passionate. Passion is, you know, I sometimes that'll get me in trouble. Sometimes it's, it is what it is, right? So yeah. you, you believe in something, you go after it, you, you get obsessed with it and you do it. Third word? Third word. Yeah. Philosopher. I'll say. I can see that about you. Yeah. I guess talking to that, I think is important. I think is something that is an art that's being lost if we just focus on the media, you know, mm -hmm. how the how the media works or how people are influenced. So yeah, philosopher is one of those things is, and then uh, right behind that, pragmatics. So yeah, I, you know, those are, those are key components of that. And then, and the reason being is because I believe that you have to, you have to get in, you have to try things. You have to get into mm -hmm. the application of things. And question, right? Yeah, question. Yeah, question so, everything. So with the philosophy, you you question everything. You come up with theories. You think logically. And then the practice gives you that that experimentation, right? Of, oh, yeah, this is not the way I thought about it. Oh, mm -hmm. this is, oh, this is exactly what I thought it was. So yeah, those things. And, you know, the last, the last word is loving. So mm -hmm. because you can't. You got to love what you do. You got to love people. And, and that's what keeps things going. Otherwise, I mean, that's the reason why love and life start with the same letter. Hmm. You know what? I think when people hear the word love, they only think about the positive things. They don't think about love being that you love somebody when they're messy. You love them through things that can be hard. Right. You right, know, they right. kind of forget that love is a... right. But even if you think a about balanced it, right? word, but if you think about it, the way you, the way you presented it is a positive thing. Right? Yeah. Because I mean, you're loving something because it's messy or someone because it's messy. Yeah. And, but you're loving them. So despite that, all of that, because all of right. at the end of the day, we're all a hot mess. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that people forget that they think of love as like, oh, the beautiful day of the wedding, if that's yeah. applicable, right? Right, right, right. Or the day the child's born or whatever, but there's always, because we're human, we, we have <laughs> stuff that comes with that. <laughs> Everything is right until it's not. So, okay. Well, tell us about your educational background. You know, how did you get started first in your first career or job? And take us through that journey to what it looks like now. Because mm. you've done a lot of things. And I found you to be just hilariously funny <laughs> also. <laughs> And yeah. we've actually kind of known each other for a while. It's just that we just met at a right. in real life yeah. at a conference. Yeah. I don't know, two months ago. Yeah, 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 face to face. Okay, so that is an interesting. I don't know how much time we got, but we got plenty of time. <laughs> no, no, let's get into go it. on that journey. Sure, sure, sure. So, so it's an interesting thing. You know, I grew up. Like I said, I was born in Venezuela, grew up in Venezuela. And, you know, there's things you learn as a kid that you have no, you just going through the motions. And I think that also happens as an adult where you're going through the motions, right? And I tell, mm -hmm. you know, I usually, my example of that, I tell people is like breakfast is the first meal after a break, after mm -hmm. a fast. It's not the meal that you have in the morning. Right. It could be the meal that you have could in the morning. Could be. But it doesn't have to be, right? So think about that one. Deep thoughts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh my God. And I have people like, oh my God, breakfast. Yeah. Right? Intermittent fasting. Oh you throw God. that in there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like break. 
fast. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So those are the things that are super interesting to me going. And so my quest has always been, I had a, a really particular, this, this is a good story. I had a particular experience that I wasn't aware of because like I said, I was always very naive. So my dad had me in Venezuela until that time, there was a, there was a, an economic boom, right? So the oil industry blew up and people were rich, but ment- mentally they were not rich, right? So <laughs> they didn't have a mentality of wealth. They just had this money. They, you know, the dollar was stronger. The, the Bolivar was stronger than the dollar. Mm-hmm. Imagine that scenario. And then you have these people coming here and buying things in pairs. It was like a big saying that Venezuelans would say, like, you know, it's cheap. Give me two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for the people who speak Spanish. But anyway, so I was in private schools. I was in a Catholic private school until third grade. And so I had like the best education, technically speaking, because it was a private school and it was also a Catholic school. And, you know, so the, the nuns, you know, they brought. Is this in Venezuela? This is in Venezuela. Okay. So I'm just giving you the story because it's an interesting thing to take, but I'll get back into the whole job thing real quick so my dad takes me out of there because then the economic thing goes down and i don't know what his motivations were but he takes me out of the school and he puts me in a public school and we're talking venezuela so it's not the same as saying here i mean public schools here are pretty awesome right so and you know that also we can get into that that varies a lot but but they're still awesome and so i i kind of had this illusion that I was super smart because I went to this old school and I'm like killing it, you know, because they, they're behind what the private school is doing. Yeah. But I had never picked it up in my head, like until I was an adult that I was like, oh my God, that happened. So I had to kind of overcome this thing. So my, my thing was, you know, my parents always had this message and I think a lot of Latino kids can identify, which is like, you know, go to school, go to school, get an education. That's basically the, the message that was always burned in, in the back of my head. So I did the thing. I mean, I was, I came here when I was 14. I went through high school, endured that. There's nothing like the world today, you know, where somebody looks at you a little weird and now you're getting bullied. Yeah. <laughs> back then it was like, <laughs> you know, people making fun of my accent, all kinds of stuff. So I'm, I'm laughing about it because again, the resilience thing kicks in, right? So I, I did all of that and I went to school and then I started working, you know, I got out of high school, got two jobs. I was working like 16 hours a day so I can make some, so I can like live and have some money, have some fun. And then I joined the Navy. So at 24, I joined the Navy. So I went from, you know, 18 to 34, where I got like an associates in journalism out of Miami-Dade Community College, Miami-Dade 305. That was Miami Day College. And so I couldn't keep going to school or at least, I don't know, maybe I was ignorant or what, what benefits were available for me or whatnot. So I, you know, at that point I had this thing of got to go to school, got to get an education. I can't just keep, you know, having fun and working as a valet in hotels and, or, you know, being a, a what a bellman in, in hotels and stuff like that. It was fun, but, you know didn't see a professional outlook that way yeah so i joined i you know at first i was going i saw a commercial with marines so i was going to join mm. the marines and my mother almost had a heart attack right what and especially because i had you know a lot of it out of ignorance right so you know knowing what's up and whatnot and then so i was like okay well i'll, I'll join the navy 
Sounds decided to join the Navy. The funny part is that the recruiter talks me into being what is called a hospital corpsman. A lot of people know today what that is. Back in the day, they didn't know. And basically what that means, you know, and, and still spreading to the people is like, what? So when you say medic, people mm-hmm. get it, right? But it's different too. It's, mm-hmm. it's, not, it's different than an army medic. And so it's it involves more. <laughs> that's what i would say right now that it's better it just involves more and more, mm. more flexibility so one of those flexibilities is that the hospital corpsman can work at a hospital but can also work with marines and because marines do not have their own medical team so what Navy, your mom was worried about i know that comes the, full circle that's the <laughs> hilarious piece so yes yeah, so i end up being assigned with marine corps units and when in Afghanistan, <clears throat> 2001, September 18, we deployed over to Afghanistan. It's already the second deployment. The first deployment is what we call the pump. It's a six-month thing that people used to do. <laughs> you know, obviously, 9-11 changed everything. So, yeah, so did that. And, I mean, the Navy basically gave me the, the formation or, let's say, the know with all of, of what a parent, what, what a father will give you. And especially if you didn't have a father in some critical years, I think that, you know, obviously having a father the whole time is great, but my father kind of, you know, he couldn't assimilate to the culture here. And at 16, he left and went back to Venezuela. Oh. So I think those are critical years. The critical years are actually the teenage years for a boy to have his father. to kind of have wisdom and stuff like that. So I didn't have that, but I also, you know, my dad was a bit of a, you know, he did the best he could. He he was more authoritarian than anything else. And so for me, it was sort of also a release and the opportunity to do the things I needed to do. So I, like I said, I was working the, the jobs, the hourly jobs and joined the Navy. So the, the Navy gave me that avenue of you start from the bottom, you suck it up. You know, you, you learn those concepts, you know, suck it up. Okay. It sounds like you got a lot of structure, which is maybe yeah. what you were missing. You get structure too. Yes. You this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a reset and I don't know what's happening today, but the commercials are not showing great promise and all these adaptations they're doing to it. But yeah, the, the arm, the, the Navy or the military gives you structure and it's a structure. A lot of people obviously may know things like movies, references, you know, like, Full Metal Jacket or things like that. And and yeah, the first, the, that boot camp scene of Full Metal Jacket, that's what Marine boot camp used to be like, or at least still hopefully is. But it's a reset, right? Because you're coming from, you got to understand this. You, you're bringing people from all over the country with all kinds of different cultural backgrounds. And, you know, a Black person from Georgia is not the same as a Black person from LA. So a Latino from Miami is not the same as a Latino in New York. You know, there are some things, but it's a lot different. So you're bringing all these people to the same place and everybody needs to follow that standard. So, yeah, it was great because you do that. But you, the, what people don't understand is that after you get out of boot camp, it's a job. Yeah. It's, there's no, you know, yeah, they're depending on what, you know, it's it's funny. It's the command, what they call the command or the base, you're, you're, the unit you're assigned to is what makes a difference. There are some commands out there. They have no military bearing, meaning, you know, they're just chilling, you know, they're like, hey, Bob, how's it going, Tom? All right, come over here. Hey, don't <laughs> worry about it. It's going to be all right. And then there are the commands that you go in, like, for example, 3rd Battalion, 6th Marines and Marine Corps, 
which you're following things to the latter. Like, you know, hey, yes, petty officer, no petty officer, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, corporal, you know. So military bearing is there for a reason. It's a structure, that's all. Well, you know, to follow that structure doesn't mean that you can't think on your own. Doesn't mean that you can't, you know, have those things, but there are orders and there's leadership. So those are concepts that a lot of people you know, may not be able to deal with. So I dealt with all the stuff and, uh, you know, we had a combat experience in, in Afghanistan, came back and then I decided to get out. So six years and did my education. So health obviously took, took, took care, took advantage of the GI Bill. And uh, like many people, I joined the military because of college, but then it became something completely different, right? So it's uh, one of those things you don't know until you know. Well, and- how did it become different? Well, because you, it's, I think it's like, it, it kind of like that phrase that I meant, like, you don't know until you know something, right? So it's like, people look at you and they, we all make judgments. True. We all have like judgments, like, you know, those are just stereotypes. A lot of people don't like to admit those, right? Everybody looks at me and go, oh, big guy, ball guy, you know, that's the two, mm this guy was in jail or whatever, or, you know, not mm-hmm. like, you know, not that you have to do that, but it's the thing. It's, it's just not, a, it's a natural response we have from neuroscience, right? That Olympic brains kind of like, you know, that's how you establish safe, not safe, you know, be aware, mm-hmm. not be aware. So, so yeah, when I got into the service, that structure made me a new person. You, you find a new avenue you find a new angle, a new perspective to yourself. And and you either, you know, you like that or you don't. And 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 so that that gives you the love for it. And there's, you know, there's a love, there's a love for it. There's something, there's things I miss that, that you know, I would love to go back. And there's many things I remember that then I go, hmm, no, not really. So, and I think everybody has that feeling, but there's something you don't get it's only a few, I think a few professions out there that can, that gets this and it's camaraderie that doesn't exist. At least that I've seen, I've been through many private fortune, fortune 100, 500 companies and 100 companies that doesn't exist. So unless you're a firefighter or a cop, maybe the, yeah, there's a brotherhood there. I'd say maybe firefighters more because you get to live together and kind of do things in the station. But yeah, it's that. And and until this day, I can see any of my buddies that were with me in service 20 years ago, whether I haven't seen that guy or not, pick up a conversation like we were just seeing, you know, talking to each other yesterday. So how many people can you tell of that in your private career, you know, in your business mm. career? How many people do you feel like it that you can actually have that type of relationship? It's hard. So that, that and so we're all fighting to this. It's the whole real ultimate feeling of having a team because you're working towards the same goal and you got each other's back. I think you hit a really valuable point of how to help build strong culture in a company. Mm-hmm. Definitely meals when you eat together, it's really a, a way of being more, I'm going to use, it's not the word choice I'm really looking for, but intimate, but I'm going to swap it out for bonding. Food is a way that people can bond together. You talk about the food. It's right. it makes everything about that 
time that you have with person highly experiential because you can smell it, you can taste it, the food, you're with the person. So I think that's key. The other thing that you said, though, too, I think is the fact that when you mentioned firemen, policemen to a certain extent, they live in their cars. So they may sleep in the car. They may. <laughs> there's a lot of things that can happen in there. And I don't see them with partners nearly as much as they used to. They yeah. seem to be flying solo, but just the economy budget. Yeah. 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 And you need you still need police. Um, and right. then the fact that in the fire department, you know, there is a place where everybody is like, that's where you you stay. That's your yeah. place. Yeah, I think, so, I think you, you mentioned that in the city might make a difference, maybe, and maybe in New York, you can still see the pairs because it's a buddy system. Yeah. Or they call it the military, the buddy system. Yeah. Where, you know, if you have one, two people, one, they're taking each other, right? Taking yeah. care of each other, so to, so to speak. But yeah, it's then, you know, and then it becomes love of country. And you got to understand it's a, it's a weird thing, right? Because I grew up, I, I was born in another country. Mm-hmm. And until, until the age of 14, I lived in another country. So do I love Venezuela? Yeah, I love Venezuela. But really, I got to say, it's not, you know, I I had a reset from mm-hmm. when I was six. It's the first time I came here. And I I saw the difference of how people lived. And that's what I chose really in my head. And I remember that vividly. So, you know, I came here to Miami. My, you know, half, my other half of my culture is Cuban. So Venezuelan Cuban, my mother's Cuban. So it's, you know, my country is the United States of America. And, you know, I'm, I was already in, I was already in line willing to die for it. So and not do it again at any point or any, any time. So, yeah, but the human element, as you mentioned, is the most important piece. And we do that in the cultural traditions that we may have. Right. So I sharing, you know, breaking bread or eating together or telling the stories. more life is shared, which is, I think what in corporate America, which you had mentioned, there it's not the same bonding, right. especially now with people working remotely. The more you pull, you keep people apart, the less strength there is in the relationship, the team building, and the the actual bond that they feel, the commitment to the company or yeah. the commitment to their their team and their people. Yeah, and that, and that's something we have to recover some way or another. It's it's not a it's not a good outlook there, but. I'll finish. That's something we probably need to mm-hmm. talk about but that I'm noticing and part of the reasons why I started studying a doctorate in communications. But primarily, you know, so healthcare, I have a healthcare education degree. So it was a health education degree, health sciences. That's what the bachelor's was at. And that kind of took me down the route of adult education. There was one, one portion of that that, you know, hits adult education. So when I started studying adult education, I kind of really, oh, all right, this is interesting. What is this about? And then as I looked, I started looking up all the different names or things that I heard about. And that took me into, okay, I'm going to do a master's in education, training and development. Really not the best degree, I would say, but it was- Education, nice, you mean? Yeah, it was the best. It was it was the master of arts in education, is what I would say. The reasons being is because it was an introduction, really, when you look at it. It's mm-hmm. just an introduction to what really goes behind. So, you know, I, I did a master's in of art and education, but yeah, they never hit anything like Herbartian Steps or Pestalozzi or, you know, Froebel. So all that stuff you do when you go find behind, because all you hear mm-hmm. is like the, you hear kind of like the pop star list 
of theorists, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, when you do any type of education degree, and this one had a concentration in training and development. So it really just mixing some education things with some of the angles that you find from talent development. So, you know, if you out of education, all you're going to hear is Malcolm Knowles, right? Well, after a few years, I'm going, well, Malcolm Knowles. So how did he come up with what he came up with? Mm -hmm. Who were the people he was looking at? Oh, but nobody mentioned this other guy. Oh, interesting, right? So that that kind of led me into that. So yeah, I had the master's in education with that, training and development. That helped, obviously. Then, you know, went through the certifications that we talked about. Had a graduate certificate in educational technology or instructional technology. And that kind of introduced me to HTML and stuff like that back in, you know, 2007, 2006. So... I've, you know, all that, you know, at that point I was ready and I did work in all the different industries, but I worked, the first job was actually a technical support specialist that had sort of like training as a collateral duty or like a main duty, but it, the title was technical support specialist. And it was training people on the apnea machines. So sleep apnea. The company is called Respironics based out of Pennsylvania. And it was, it became Philips, Philips acquired. And I had to travel to Brazil, Argentina, and all these Latin American countries and do training in three different languages. So do the training on the devices in Spanish, Portuguese, and English. So that was the, you know, it's the first gig. And I remember it was, it was interesting because, you know, I'd, I was getting paid $50,000 and I thought it was like the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, Oh my God. You know, I remember calling my wife and my wife also being super excited. Oh my God, $50,000. And I mean, you didn't make that in the military. We're looking at, no. you have to go way up, I oh, guess, to no, get money. Yeah. No, in the military, you start with like, my son is actually right now stationed in the Eisenhower and he's a, he's an airman in the Navy. And he's, yeah, he's, you start making less than 20,000 or something. Like that. Well, that's because they, they feed you, they house you, they, they will say they give you clothes, but course, it's military clothes. Yeah, Of course, but it's also incentive, right, for you to improve and, and meet your timelines, you know, because yeah. it's not just, oh, you like me, I did a great job, give me a promotion. It's like, no, you get, you know, in six, in nine months, you're eligible. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you don't get your rank that you get your rank you need to work you need to put the work in and so yeah that's the beauty of it because that's the essence of everything we have to think about you know even when you look at neuroscience it's not the dopamine that helps you out the dopamine is what is the pursuit of that goal that really gives you that human drive you yeah know what i mean yeah it does. everything else is you know once you get the goal you get the goal okay great i got my certificate i got my degree yeah, you're done, right? So Depends. now you got to look at it the other way. You're like, okay, what's next? Yeah, and that's what that's what gives you in the pursuit. So yeah, that was uh, that's an interesting. So yeah, I got the education back. The background education has been based on education, training, and development. Then the certifications are ATDs certified. It used to be CPLB certified professional learning performance. Now it's the CPTD certified professional talent development. I pursued also certified technical trainer from CAMTA, which is a great, great certification for facilitation. So I started, I started as a trainer, as a facilitator, and then veered into instructional design. And it was because then, you know, what I focused on was to become good at everything. 
so I call it a 75% rule, you know, be 75% of all on all aspects of the profession, not just say, Oh, I'm a great instructional designer. Oh, I'm a great learning facilitator. Well, let's take it back. What yeah. is the definition? Because our listeners may not know what an instructional designer is. What, how do you define it? Well, I got to give you two definitions. Right? Okay. So there is the academic definition of instructional design. And that is someone that does looks at conditions in an environment, mm -hmm. right? And looks at the learners and creates conditions, creates the external conditions that would allow the learners to achieve the better outcomes that they can achieve. And if you look at it specifically in the terminology is the instructional systems developer, right? So you're developing a system. It's not just a course. It's not just material. You're developing a system in which the learner can actually achieve the best learning outcome. That's the academic definition. Now, there's the reality of instructional design, sadly, and 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 greatly, depending how you look at it, because you can make some great money at it. And that is that whoever's hiring for instructional designers, they're usually, you know, if you ask them, they're going to tell you, oh, yeah, that's exactly, we want everything. Yeah, you're, what he said, we like it, all of that. But really what the focus is on instructional design or has become in the job market is the ability to develop content and those are two that's a component of instructional design as i explained it on the academic definition but it's not you know you can make all the content in the world you might not have the right external environmental conditions mm. there and if you don't have that then all you're doing is creating courses you're happy with that you're happy making courses but are you really doing the best thing for the learner and the environment mm -hmm. and the environment. Sometimes we got to twist it now and say, okay, corporate learning. Yes. The environment is the organization. The yeah. organization is paying money investing right on, on that. So yeah, it, it that could be a, that could be another episode. <laughs> yeah. I think learning is multidimensional and a layered approach because every person is unique in how they learn. And we have to be able, you can create one course like what you just described, but that doesn't mean that we'll say 50% of the people in the company will understand the course because maybe it's Maybe it's hitting the way they like to learn, the way that they absorb the information, yeah. the way they actually process it and provide an outcome. So I feel like this is where instructional design is, is going to continue to improve to make it more customized and, and provide content, learning content. When we talk about what content is, so people don't confuse it with social media content or marketing content but with learning content that can actually be processed more quickly. So it's cutting through a lot of the layers of what it takes to learn. Yeah. Well, there's this, you know, there's a cab there. There's a big difference. So in the history of instruction design, you have this evolution that you have to consider. There's a lot of good principles that we had. that are not really in the mainstream. So it's like it's like music, right? Yeah. So you got Mozart, yeah, and then you have Taylor Swift. I was right? going to say Prince, but okay. Or you go well, Prince. Well, yeah. He, rest in peace. But but yeah, and this is is I mean they're all great, mm -hmm. right? In their perspectives. The thing is that what sells the most is not exactly always what gives you the 
the most effective approach. Yeah. So different, you know, as you as you mentioned, differentiating instruction and stuff like that. You got to separate workplace learning from educational settings because educational settings, you know, a teacher has eight months to work on that grid. Instruction designer or corporate settings doesn't have that time, right? So the other part too is that you have to deal with you have to deal with tasks and performance tasks. And that's the big, that's where you get the big break. So you have someone coming with a didactic or, you know, it's great to come with an educational background, but you have to look at it performance side mm -hmm. in the business world. Now, if the person hiring others have the same mentality of having an educational setting, sort of a school setting or a, right. a college settings thing, then it doesn't make a difference, right? Because I just going to hire you because you can make some great e-learning stuff. Right. But, and the company will never know because here's the other thing. The business people in companies, they're just, just like you and me. Well, not, the, the average person, I would say, right? Yeah. The average person is what? What do they have as an experience? They go to school. When they go to school, what do they, what do they know? So oh, if you're going to train, I need a class. If you're going to train, I need an online course. I need a course to train to do something in the job. And that's not always true. And that's the that's the difference that you have to get into that people really need to focus on if they really want to, you know, produce all the stuff. Like I said, you can make a hundred thousand dollars a year making and learning courses and be happy and live your life. Mm -hmm. So really that's the that's the problem. That's mm -hmm. the problem that we get into if we if we learn about stuff. That you know, I think is a <laughs> you gotta look at it that way, right? Like yeah, there's a double-edged sword if you learn too much or learn more about something that is not always good yeah because... you have to look at the positive and the negative side yeah, of everything exactly yeah <laughs> oh i thought i was gonna sneeze but no, you, I'm got good. you got emotional i get it yeah yeah i was <laughs> overcome with emotion so we're gonna do this next question and then we're gonna take a break what do you want to be remembered for Ooh. And that can be, you know, with the masses, with your family, it can be, yeah, yeah. because yeah. honestly, when we talk about that, no matter what we do, everything is always on social media. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, so it's, that's been, that's actually that question I asked myself to begin with. I think what I'd like to be remembered for, I think, you know, if anything, I'd like to be remembered by those that I helped and, and that I, it's an interesting thing because I, I have a bit of a mixture of Christian and Buddhist sort of thoughts about this. So I almost think like, you know, I'm here to, you know, life is suffering. That's a Buddhist thought, you know, that's a Buddhist philosophy. Life is suffering. And a lot of people take that as like, what? No, life is about pleasure. It's like, well, how do you know pleasure without suffering? You know, <laughs> like, yeah. you know good things, bad things. But you know, we're here for a reason where you can make a difference in a lot of people's lives. And that could be, I could look at it in different ways. For example, that I go and learn a bunch of stuff like I have, right? Mm -hmm. And that I can teach people how to do video, that I can teach people how to do learning courses, that I can teach people how to think about theory and stuff like that. And I give that to people, but... Then there's the struggle of saying, well, I want to be remembered. For mm -hmm. And it's like, well, that's egotistical in a sense. If you think of, it's conflicting, right? Because it's like, oh, I want to be remembered for that. The, I think the most, the bigger reward for me is that I know 
that it made a difference. Yeah. So, and I think many teachers who feel this way too, right? That you know you're making a difference. Yes. Regardless of whether people think or don't think about it. And, and many times we're not appreciated in any way, right? In this type of role. So that is one thing. Now, for my family, I just want, you know, I, I want to be remembered by my kids as, as a great father. And, and, uh, and an example that, you know, the good things and the bad thing, the good and the bad decisions, they can make better decisions in the, in the future. I think that's the most important piece for me, especially because of my childhood. So I think all that, you know, kind of spends, spends things around for us, but I've been lucky. I've been blessed and, you know, thank God. And, and, and I've gone through, I've gone through the process of learning all these things and, and, you know, finding a spirituality as well to, to fulfill and balance everything out. Yeah. A life of service for sure. Yeah. Life of service. I believe strongly in that. And like anybody else, I'm not going to lie. I have my moments where I wanted to be, you know, in the spotlight and be remembered. That's human. Yeah. I, I had those moments. I had the, I think you, <laughs> you, you said this before, like, you know, we're messy. Well, we're, we might be messy. We probably need to make an acronym out of that, but we're, we should be always evolved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that's the key component that people need to think about. If you've been the same way for 20 years, there's a problem. Yeah. You should be evolving because that's the ultimate sign of learning. So Learning, we hate to change, but learning does mean we do change. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't deny that in in any angle that you put it in. So it's like mm-hmm. cognitively, it's like, well, you develop mental schemas that weren't there before, so mm-hmm. you're different now. Affectionately, you feel different one thing that you felt before. So you know, it's yeah, it, it's change, but it's change always for the better. That's a choice. <laughs> you think so? Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is a choice that we make. I no, think. I mean learning. Learning is a change for the better. Oh I mean. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I even... think you know. And here's the thing: we say learning is a change, but learning is the outcome, right? Yeah. So you have to. The changes is what leads you to learning. So mm-hmm. What are those changes? That's where you. That's exactly what I, I agree with you in this. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a choice. Yeah. Every day, everything's a choice. So we're going to stop for just a minute. We're going to take a break for our sponsor and we will be right back. Transcend Network helps early stage startup founders find product market fit through weekly experiments, receive fundraising support, and build a global founder investor network for ed tech and the future of work technologies. The Intern Whisperer is affiliated with employers and we thank Transcend Network for being a sponsor of our show. And welcome back to the second half of our show. We're here with Alex Salas. He's been a philosopher for sure during the first segment. I'm going to sure be sure to share that with our guests. It'll really make you stop and think. You post <laughs> a lot of good thoughts that are very provocative in the sense of like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm humble. So what do you think the future of 2030 is going to look like? What would work look like in 2030? That's not that far away. No, it's not. So we, yeah, that was a great, great conversation to have from different angles. From one perspective is I'm, so doing this, you know, I started doing this program as a PhD in strategic communication. 
and uh, it was interesting to find i mean i just done one one course one class and uh, and that has been like completely revealing in many ways but i've always been thinking about i'm very driven or very interested in human behavior and what drives that i think is a big component of what need to what anyone in the learning profession or regardless of the case even a business should be really keen into because that's there there seems to be some kind of mass influence into how we behave right so you can call it culture in many many places you can call it different things but there are some things are happening and you know we like to in different different occupations we like to put labels on it you know in hr obviously you got generations right the gen c's the mm-hmm. gen y's this and that and i i'm concerned about a couple of things i think is a you know we always need to have a great outlook you're going to have amazing technologies that were already here in the horizon right the evolution of ai which is a concern as well as a as a promise for for better things so let's let's break that down a bit. I think an interesting thing that I you know didn't know before is the concerns that some philosophers had regarding technology, right? And the essence of what technology is. So you know, is technology a representation of human technique? And human technique is exactly what we are capable of doing or not. I mean, a good example, as you can figure, is like maybe you know, the first humans or the first beings that saw fire, right? And and some people, you know, what was the first impressions of that? What were the first reactions to that? Maybe it was fear, right? Right? Maybe it was like, what the hell? What? You know? Yeah. So, and then you 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 look at our evolution is like, okay, someone after yeah. the after getting over the the fear, right, and getting over the getting over the trepidation, figure out that this thing is warm, and that mm, it it destroys other things. And it can be contained. And and then from there we went, I mean, today you got people that can make it in a spot, right? Right. They can create it in a spot. So fire, right? An evolution of fire. Without fire, then you don't have all these other things we have, right? And right. many other things we have. So including metallurgy and, you know, and steam engines and all this stuff. I mean, we'll just throw in there hamburgers. There you go. Hamburgers, yeah. cheeseburgers. Oh, yeah. cheeseburgers. So, so. Now we look at things like, for example, ChatGPT, right? Yeah. Everybody's got to talk about ChatGPT. The interesting thing, I, I have a cynical side of me that's always like going, okay, really? Like L&D, what's going on, man? Like you, we had software technology come out. We have e-learning and all this stuff come out. And everyone seemed, at least in the LinkedIn circles, which is also a difference in the world, that you always have people always like, you know, complaining and, or putting it down. They mm-hmm. seem always like putting it down, like, eh, e-learning and people just doing this, people just doing that. And I think that's just part of that bandwagon effect that we have. So that's phenomenal we have, right? Where people get on it, somebody starts saying, oh my God, this is amazing. And then people, oh my God, this is amazing. Look at what it's doing. Wow. And then pretty soon, someone is going to get off the bandwagon and say, oh, this is horrible. This is doing this. This is doing that. And then everybody else is going to jump on that and then let it go. So I don't know if ChatGPT is going to be in that situation. Maybe not. Maybe yes. But the evolution of it is what is concerning because artificial intelligence is a big interest of mine. And artificial intelligence, when you look at it, 
is is uh, you know it's nothing new. It has been talked about for seventy years or eighty years, but the main difference is we have the computing power now. So we have the computing power, and we have the breakthroughs in the coding and the algorithms. So we're getting into this scenario now where people are saying, "Oh well, you know this is going to change how we do work." Twenty thirty, mm-hmm. you better be good at ChatGPT, right? Because yeah, otherwise, so. you're not going to get a job. And I was like, is it? I mean, okay, maybe. Maybe the best looking jobs will have that. Maybe the best paying jobs will have that component that you can write a prompt and pull the best quality out of a chat GPT. My issue with it is that we're losing technique. So we're going to have a bunch of technicians without technique. Mm-hmm. And so technique is basically that capability you have of having this done this work and having having evolved and and improved in your writing right so yeah. like if you're a writer that's the situation if you're a learning designer that's the, the situation if you're an artist right if you can paint you can make a painting you know it's that's technique that's irrelevant of the technology you have the capability the skill we usually say skill but anybody can have a skill the question is, can you really maximize the practice of that skill? Yeah, the actual thought and the questioning, the discernment, all of those factors that those are real skills. Yeah. So I've seen some professors of how they're actually incorporating chat into the classroom. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it's not going to go away. So we might as well run to the wall and understand how to harness it to the Mm -hmm. best of our ability. And what they have done is they've asked students because it's, this is how I was explaining it to somebody else the other day is they said, when you think about how technology has emerged in the world, what we first started with is verbal stories. And then we went into being able to write it down. And then we had the printing press and we were able to, you know, make it more scalable at the time. And then we get into a world of, you know, fast paced technology where we have the the web. And then we were able to search for things. We have all of these different search engines and ways that we can we can find information more quickly than we did when we had the card catalog in a library. So there's been this evolution of, of knowledge and passing this knowledge on. So for me, chat is that next version of taking the what we had in the World Wide Web. It's, it's just pulling in everything from all of these data sources, the good and the bad. And, you know, saying here, you, you made a query. This is what I found. You know, here's a five paragraph essay, if you will. That doesn't mean that it's accurate. So the mm-hmm. skills that we have to have are still there. It's being able to take this ability to create something in a written form and fact check it. We have to be able to go in there and do the research and go, okay, is this accurate? You know, did it give me citations? Let me do my own research because it's being used I'll say right now, to give us ideas and brainstorm more quickly. Instead of doing, because I was an English teacher, I would have to go and say, okay, let's let's brainstorm some ideas. And we did them in clusters. That was one way to do it, a mind map, if you will. And when we were playing with that, 
you were throwing ideas up on the board really quickly, and then you decided what was going to be this five page or this five paragraph essay based on just those ideas. Chat does that in seconds and in minutes for you. So you can say, here's three ideas. I want to see this as a five paragraph essay and give me a thesis statement. That doesn't mean it's the best thing. It is only a starting board, a launching board. So you can see, how do I make it better? Because it's going to sound like a little bit maybe robotic as to what is out there in the world. It won't necessarily have your personalization that comes out of who you are and what you want to say. I think that's what it is to me right now. And so I've seen professors using it in their, in their classroom to say, here, you know, ask chat to write a five paragraph essay, and then you need to customize it so that it is truly reflective of what your research is. And I feel like that's how we're going to see it. But I feel like the, the careers, I believe, not feel, the careers will be more built around more of a journalistic approach to how we have to take what this is and be able to make it be accurate so it's not being used for evil. I'll throw that one out there too. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see that. But I mean, I have to say, though, it's all that is possible. That's great. That's ideal. The question is, how are we going? How are you going to control that? It doesn't happen in any other collective way. knowledge. It's, it's yeah. the same. It's the same thing as with PowerPoint. Yeah. You know, people put PowerPoint down, but those are the people that don't know how to use PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can use you can create, especially today. All these apps, by the way, PowerPoint, Photoshop, all these other apps are using backend neural filters, neural networks, yeah. which are AI-based algorithms to make some of the processes easier and faster. Background removals are now just one click, yeah. right? There's no more selection and finite, you know, finessing or anything like that. They do a pretty amazing job. So when it comes to ChatGPT, the problem with this is not having we're losing as a society we're losing a lot of good essence and i think in the in the sense of doing the work and there is an insight and there is a value that you get out of that yes that you are not going to get from anything else so even yeah. if you're doing this great prompts with chat gpt right and right. you're saying oh yeah well you have to customize it but that's the thing you have to customize it, but the people that are going to be using it, if the if the message, as you know, McLuhan said, the medium is the message. The message basically is, hey, this thing is, does things for you. Mm -hmm. Just give it a prompt. Does things for you. Just give it a prompt. So that mm -hmm. means, okay, well, it's good. I, I yeah, I looked at it. it's good. I mean, that, nobody else is going to know whether it's good or not. It, this is pretty good to me. Let's go right. So there's no customization. There's pretty much just grabbing that that's a possibility of it the second piece is the possibility of just people using it as a crutch and just getting by with things mm -hmm. so the problem i mean you know it's going to help you it's going to help sure. us no doubt it's going to yeah. help us but in the long run i think there's an issue with the uh, sort of a decay in our collective intellectual so we have the capability of using this thing the question is well after you've been using this thing for five years Take it away. 
Mm-hmm. If you take the internet away right now, what happens? If you take oh, mobile devices, yeah, away no from- kidding. Because if there will be a day when the grid goes down, and when the grid goes down and there is no electricity, you have to say, "Do you know how to change a tire on your car? Do you know how to like create food without a well, you know, that, that, that's yeah, what, that's without the recipe that you just looked up?" There will be some of us, but we're also decaying in population. So I mean, there are some concerns right sure i like to have a positive outlook and i always have a positive outlook but there are some concerns that come around this thing and the next evolution of it is what we have to really be more concerned with yeah. so right now everybody's buying into it everybody's super excited everybody's i don't know that. about everybody but well a, a, a lot mean, of people yeah, yeah i mean yeah at least an apparent majority yeah <laughs> right? yeah i would agree with that for sure <laughs> right so the I think, you know, our academic systems need to change. Sure. They have been needing to change for at least 20 years. That's another discussion. But things like this are disrupting, you know, disruptors in that scenario. So great. Incorporate it into classes. That'd be great. You want to incorporate it into these courses because you want to sort of assimilate to what the business corporate entities will be. What I'm interested in knowing is how is this really going to work out from a corporate standpoint? So, you know, you're we're seeing it out there and you can go in there on your own accord and use it. Now you have to pay for it to really be able to use it in some in some instances because, you know, capacity and availability, right? Right. Oh, we're getting too many people using it right now. So sorry. Maybe you want to pay $20 a month and use it. Okay. So you have to pay for it. So companies will have to invest yep. in having this technology. My question, my concerns are that well, if you invest in having this technology, as we know, technological determinism happens all the time, meaning that by the existence of this technology, well, now you have you don't have to know as much. Yeah, it, so it, it can make you, people very lazy. Let me pay you less. Yeah. <laughs> right? That could be an avenue. The avenue will be actually, oh, no, you are one of the few that can use this thing optimally so yeah let me pay you more right yeah but the other part is okay well if you know it's like any other technology you mentioned the the gutenberg press right it make books more affordable mm-hmm. available across the regions that wasn't there before well now you got your gpt and this is just the one the first few versions of it now what happens when you are able to create the chat gpt that uses deep reinforcement learning which is the model that would just be left out in the world just watch everything give them give just the simple rules that hey these are people this is a office have at it Mm -hmm. right now it's going to pick up on all the bad habits that we have, all the BS, Oh, that's already in there, though. All the BS that we're doing, yeah. right? <laughs> that's why I'm saying you yeah. don't know. You have to, you can't trust that it's it's going to be 100% accurate. It's, it's not. It's the same thing. You know, it's interesting, though. It's not different than what we've done with the internet. So we democratize the ability to have a place in the world and say something with the internet, right? Yes. And so ChatGPT <clears throat> is going to, it's basically the automation of that. It's not really anything better than that. So you can Google right now learning styles. Sure. Right. And find a bunch of blogs telling you how to use learning styles. Mm-hmm. You also find people that will tell you the research shows that this is baloney, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You also find. So 
you have misinformation and disinformation in all places just by humans interacting with the internet. You got bots writing articles and you got bots creating images and you got all the stuff. So it's all based on what we have done. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So yeah, it's a it's a very so the world in 2030, it should be something that you know you always have to be in tune with what's happening with the masses. But I think you definitely need to have a good sense of flexibility. So yeah. I would say the agility just needs to be there. It happened since the internet. So now you need to have the agility to move from one end to the other and have at least what I tell people is have at least an intelligent discussion. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah. So hard to believe, but we're at the end of our time. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that we actually didn't talk about. You'd have to come back again. But you you did touch on so many of the other questions like ethical dilemmas and how can we be focusing on how to use things in a positive and a negative way. So you were hitting questions that you didn't even know, Alex, <laughs> just so you know. Well, I really, I really thank you for this opportunity. Oh, but we're not finished. There's okay. another question. Oh, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. okay. So this is my last question. And then how can our people contact you is what is the best mentoring advice that you would like to pass on to our listeners? And just so you have a little snapshot of what that looks like anywhere from 23 to 65 plus a little bit more male than female in all industries and it's global. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's great to hear in many ways, but uh, mentoring advice, I will say, you know, there's a phrase we have in the military, which is play the game, right? And so that means that there are some set of rules. There are some conventions in any type of group setting or any type of environment. So if you want to be a lawyer, there's things the lawyers do. If you want to be a teacher, there's a wolf back in there or you know, nurses, right? <laughs> Where, you know, sometimes they eat their young, but there is a culture, right? So there's yeah. a culture in every single profession find out, you know, kind of assimilate to that culture, learn what that culture is about, and then also look outside that circle so you can find the the truths of things. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're right now, especially in, in social media, we have agendas and we have tribes. So then that goes for professional circles <laughs> and everything else. So you get agendas and you have tribes. And so whatever you're listening to or where, whoever's telling you what, there's always an agenda with it. If it's a consultant, they want you to have your business, you know, they want you to have your business, their business. If it's somebody, so there's always some kind of agenda. They may be subconscious or conscious. And in your own terms, you have to see who the successful people are in that environment. If that's what your motivation is to be successful in that environment. And however you define that success, some people say, oh, make a bunch of money. Some other people say, oh, do the best quality work that I can do. So maybe a balance of both, who knows, but you know, we live in a society that the, you know, values, a lot of the things that we value and we listen to is because of money. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if people will listen to Simon Sinek so much if he didn't make money based on the messages he provided. Now, give you an example. Simon Sinek is popular in giving you messages about leadership, servant leadership, but he's not the one that came up with that concept. No. So Robert Greenleaf did. But nobody knows about Roman Griffiths. Well, so. and we'll take it a step further. <laughs> you know, it's also a, a spiritual thing. It's servant leadership. Of is, course. Yeah. You know, Jesus. And oh, no, pick yeah. any of your your people. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Different religions. Absolutely. But, yeah. Yeah. But you know, in, in a in a technical, let's say academic 
standpoint let's say so yeah nothing, no robert greenleaf no, yeah nothing nothing's absolute there's one thing you have to be aware of nothing's absolute and so there's always something missing from each of those areas that you're looking at and what mm -hmm. people are explaining and that is because it's the human condition so you know they're humans they're people in this environments and this places so mentorship wise you know be a student of what you learn and not just get a degree and forget about it not just take a take a course or something or a certification and that's it data dump we got i got my degree really then now is the time to go back and look at what where things come from why are people saying the things they're saying and what is the motivation really behind them so you can then have the best available set of resources to then you know strategically plan your approach and yeah. how you do it so yeah. Yeah. i like that because you're really what what i'm interpreting what you're saying is based on our whole conversation here is make sure you've done the work to look at the history. Where did the roots come from? And if you take it far enough back, you'll be able to understand how to differentiate yourself as a thought leader, because you've looked at the historical side of it to where is it going and what could it possibly be? Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know, if you don't know, uh, yeah, history repeats itself, as they say, right? That's yeah. because uh, many of us have no knowledge of that. So think of someone that was born, you know, 20 years ago. What yeah. do they know? I mean, they grew up with a device in their hand, so. <laughs> and they they have access to so much knowledge. Yeah. Because they could they could Google search it, right? They do, but that doesn't mean they. That doesn't mean they're going to. They're going to. So yeah. you know, I, I have that experience with my kids all the time. You know. Yeah. Everybody made made that assumption. There was a notion of the digital natives. Right? Oh, the digital natives! Wow, <laughs> there's so much. It's yeah. just a fancy name for the yeah. same thing. Yeah, but it's it's all based on interest, right? Yeah. So if Today, you have a kid that will watch a kid that will watch another kid playing a video game on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and that's one way to learn. Now, they're doing that. That's not something we had as Gen Xers in a way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could do it if you hang out with a group of people and maybe like that, but not in the scale they have today. So today, anyone has a full capability of resources to not go to college, to not go to school and learn everything. Mm -hmm. Right. But yet, it takes that work. Yeah. So that, you know, because it's there doesn't mean that that they do, do it. it. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. so how can people find you, Alex? We give them your website, your LinkedIn, but I know you have a podcast. How can people find you? <laughs> yeah. So the podcast is Dollar Origins. I do a newsletter on LinkedIn and LinkedIn is the best place to find me. If you are going to request, you know, on LinkedIn, I have a creator profile so you can follow or if you want to connect and message me and stuff like that, make sure that you put a message in your connect request though, because I don't connect just with everybody anymore. I don't either. Uh, I make them say, tell me how you found me. Right. Tell right, me, right. you know, yeah. Or at least let me know, hey, I listened to you in the podcast. We should connect, stuff like that. The problem is, you know, the internet has become a flea market. And if you're not if you're familiar with the flea market is, if maybe you're not because maybe you're too young. <laughs> but, yeah. but uh, you know, it's just a place where people just want to grab your attention and sell you something. So that's a lot of what happens on LinkedIn. So, you know, we're not that, you know, I got 20 some thousand. Thank you to all of them. There's like 25,000 followers close to hitting, you know, we're, we're going up there. And that's because I'm providing knowledge and, you know, and practices and things like that. And I'm giving back to from where I'm learning. 
So yeah, reach out through LinkedIn. Style Learn is the name. Style Learn to work together. And you can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube channel where you can find, you can learn the tools like Beyond and Contasia for free. I have like a couple of playlist courses in there that you can just take a quick tutorial and learn some things. If you know how to do these things, you know, today is a world, we're talking about that 2030, just to wrap it back up. You should be able to show what you can do and let that speak ahead of anybody else's relying just on a resume. So, yeah. I'm so if you can do something, then people will see it and people will feel it rather than, you know, people hiding behind a speech or a pitch of, oh, yeah, I've been doing this for 20 years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, well, where's the, where's the fruit of that? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Well, thank you so much. It's been delightful having you as a guest. Fun. I had a lot of fun. Bring me back anytime. I'll be glad to be here. Oh, awesome. Well, just so our listeners know, be sure to reach out to Alex. Mention the intern whisper so he'll know that he heard this on or that you heard this on our podcast. Thank you so much. Awesome. We want to thank our sponsor, Cat5 Studios, and our production team, producer and editor, Josue Gonzalez. And our music is by Sophie Lloyd. Be sure to visit Employers for Change at www.e4c.tech to learn how you can create real diversity and inclusive culture while scaling your people for the future of work. Thank you for supporting The Intern Whisper by subscribing to us on Podbean, our Employers for Change YouTube channel, or stream from your favorite podcast channel.